because the tone that I respond to is when people get up and say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And then they let loose with, you know, fiery oratory, Martin Lloyd-Jones, logic on fire, right? I'd always responded to that, but I just thought that was a temperamental thing. And then seeing that, you know, Martin Luther saying, look, there's the threefold word, that Christ is the eternal word of the Father, that the scriptures are the word of Christ, and preaching is the word of the Spirit. And you've got a kind of a trinity, word of the Father, word of Christ, word of the Spirit. And when you get all three together, and to the degree that you get all three together, then you are hearing God's voice with his authority. And and that's just kind of, and that again makes you realize that preaching is not a frivolous activity and it's not just a Bible study. It's not just a, a spoken Bible commentary. It's God addressing his people through the lips of a preacher. Wow. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 167. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and the voice that you just heard is that of Glenn Scrivener. Uh, Glenn is born and raised in Australia, but at this point has been living in the United Kingdom for more than half of his life. Um, He was formerly a curate at All Souls Church. Uh, He speaks about that a bit in the beginning of this interview, Um, but these days, since 2010, Uh, Glenn is an evangelist with Speak Life UK, and since 2014, he's been the director of that ministry. Um, He is obviously passionate about evangelism. Uh, He also has a a sharp, apologetic mind, uh, engaging with the thoughts and the questions that the surrounding culture has about Christianity and its claims. And in this conversation, we we speak about preaching, but kind of more than just tips and tricks as to how to preach better sermons, but stepping back and asking the big questions of what is the theology of preaching? Uh, Why do we do what we do? Uh, What does God think about preaching and how should we view it as part of his redemptive move on planet Earth? So I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. I'm going to get out of the way so you can listen to myself and Glenn Scrivener. I hope that this conversation and all that we do here at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Well, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm here with uh, Reverend Glenn Scrivener. Um, he's the director of Speak Life uh, Ministries, uh, an ordained uh, minister in the Church of England, and uh, is passionate about evangelism and the preaching of the Word of God. So, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, man, I mean, uh, yeah, I've been doing, as I said earlier, kind of a deep dive, um, listening to so much content and reading your stuff, and I'm excited that the the hearers to this podcast are going to be able to to listen and I'm to slightly learn from nervous you. about what you've unearthed as you've uh, dug around in Google. Who knows? Most of it's most of it's pretty positive. There's some <laughs> there's some YouTube there's some YouTube comments that are kind of mean spirited out there. But uh, <laughs> really, you yeah, that? yeah. But I take those with uh, with several with a handful of salt. Yeah, yeah. It's the scuttling underbelly of the internet at, at times. YouTube comments, but um, yeah, 
we survive. Yep. Okay. So I'm just going to get straight to it. So, um, Glenn, when was your first sermon? It's kind of a way that I think kind of helps people to get to know you personally. Mm. And uh, I'd love to hear about the first time that you preached God's word. I, just as I begin to answer it, I'm just realizing it was, I'm coming up to the 20 year anniversary. So it was Easter of um, 2001. Wow. And uh, I, was, I was working for All Souls Langham Place as a lay assistant, which is sort of this dog's body job where you just, you, you, you vacuum all the, all the carpets and you polish all the brass and you clean a thousand loos in, in the year. But you get to have lunch with John Stott and you get to, you know, be around Rico Tice and Paul Blackham and Richard Buse and these incredible sort of Christian leaders and preachers. And, um, and you, you also get put onto a, a preaching roster for, um, 8am communion. So, um, church of England, you know, stipulations, you have a weekly communion. Um, a lot of evangelical churches, I think, unfortunately don't like to have weekly communion. I, I, I wish that they would, but, um, a lot of them therefore shove that service, you know, very early in the, in the Sunday morning. And so I went onto the roster to preach at 8am communion and my name happens to come up for Easter and who should show up at my very first sermon, but John Stott himself. <laughs> oh, wow. It was like I, Zechariah in the temple. You got, <laughs> you got called upon and there was Who am messenger. I, oh Lord? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am but a lad. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I, I guess I was. I was probably 21 years old and um, a, little, a little sort of six-minute homily on 1 Corinthians 15, and I'd heard stories about John Stott, um, you know, back in the day when, when he was the rector and the curate, the associate minister would sort of get up and give a sermon. And if they deviated from the passage and went off and told too many stories, he, he, would, he would very publicly shut the Bible like on his lap. As, and, the, and then the, the curate would, you know, very, very quickly get back to, oh, and verse eight says. And uh, so I was thinking about this the entire time that I preached. I can't, can't really remember what I preached. I, I do remember doing this like quite lengthy excursus back to Genesis 3, even though I, I had about six minutes to preach yeah. 1 Corinthians 15, which is not a short chapter. No, so I don't no. know what I was doing. It's 58 <laughs> verses at least, but. <laughs> but um, they, he, yeah, he sort of smiled and nodded at the end and, and, and I got away with it. So that was my first sermon. Oh my goodness. So would, would, would Easter Sunday communion, would that be like more well attended than the regular Sundays at 8am? Um, only for John Stott. So for, for some reason, um, communion wasn't being had the rest of the Sunday. And so he, he wanted to make sure that he had communion. And so he, you know, made a, made a special effort to be, I, I like to think it was to hear my preaching, but um, <laughs> no, it was, it was for the word of God uh, in, in the sacramental form. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well, when you said Easter was your first sermon, I was thinking, what a, who's going to let someone like debut on an Easter <laughs> Sunday? Um, but okay, but it was a, a modified, uh, yeah, not the main service. Well, look at, looking back, uh, the, first, the first sort of full length sermon I did um, was I, I soon got deported from uh, the UK and I had to go back to Australia where I'm from. And um, I, I preached in the, the, um, church that I grew up in and it was whatever the Sunday was after September the 11th, I guess it would have been like September the 15th or something. 
and um, and I preached on Luke 13 on the the towers of Siloam, and and that was so that was my my first full length um, sermon uh, on a pretty like extraordinarily well well attended Sunday. So yeah, thrown thrown in the deep end, I guess. Uh, and and so with that passage, you definitely were addressing. Uh, issues of, of pain, of sovereignty, mm. of suffering mm. from your very beginning. And mm. it, it seems that now, 20 years later, like you almost, you almost still are. Has that been mm. a consistent theme? I think so. Like when I did get deported back to Australia, it was, it was, I'd, I'd been really um, prayerfully wrestling with God. And, and Philippians 3.10 was a massive verse for me. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And I remember stupidly as a 21-year-old, as 21-year-olds do, I just prayed, you know, Lord, if I can know you better through suffering, then bring on the suffering, um, like idiot that I was. And, um, and the Lord answered that prayer, like, like within, within days I was deported from the country, within days my, my girlfriend, who I was very, hope, very much hoping to marry, um, said she didn't want me and she didn't want Jesus. And I go back home and my parents are going through an incredibly... Um, traumatic divorce, and there was uh, incredibly traumatic things happening in the church that I then joined, and and so God God kind of answered that 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 prayer, and and I knew His presence with me, and, and I knew Christ in the midst of the furnace of affliction. You know, it's, it's the old Spurgeon thing. You know, the Lord never has His children in, in the fire without joining them in it, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the Son of God with them, and and that's that's been a real theme of mine, I think to know Christ in his sufferings. And very much it's, a, it's the burden that I carry with me into the pulpit. You know, I, I know that people are going through a furnace and, and I want to preach the Son of God to them, the, the one who, who shows up in the midst of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and I, you know, from, from listening and watching your sermons, I, I do know that you, you do have like a, a levity to you as well that you can... Uh, you know, your, your stories about Flossie the sheep that always appear, like there, there is kind of a, a lightheartedness uh, and, and yet there is like a, a solemnity and a seriousness that I think is, is, is needed um, because the, the rows of people in our pews or, or those that are watching the live stream or whatever capacity we're, we're preaching these days, um, there's, there's broken hearts and there's deep questions and it's always appreciated when, when that is acknowledged and everything is not a, a cheerleading session or, or, you know, a yeah. bunch of jokes one after the other. Yeah. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I did stand up comedy I, I, until I was about 21. I, I was doing stand up all through my sort of my college years, my university career. I had and no idea. Yeah, well, my I, deep dive I, wasn't deep enough, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I tried to keep that one really well hidden, but um, <laughs> thankfully it was in the in the, in the time before Facebook. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very, very yeah, yeah. But uh, in in one sense, that's kind of freed me from. I I don't think I told a joke in the pulpit for fifteen years of preaching. I like I I I think I absolutely. I, I was able, I guess, to have a very thick line in my thinking between this is stand-up comedy and this is preaching, and the mm-hmm. two things are very different. And if I want to make people laugh, I'll go to a comedy club and I'll do that. If I want to feed the sheep on a Sunday morning, then that's what I'll <laughs> devote myself to. So I, I was actually probably, I was probably against 
humor. <laughs> for, for, for a, I have been against humor for a lot of my preaching career when actually, when actually I do like telling jokes and I do like that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm just very aware that Joker Man Glenn could get the better of me. And so I, 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 I'm learning more to integrate levity and, and that kind of stuff in, into my preaching. But I've, I've feared it because I don't, I don't want to entertain the goats. I want to feed the sheep, you know. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if you were a, a Breaking Bad fan, but uh, mm-hmm. but I am, or I was, and and I watched an interview with uh, the director um, Vince Vince Gilligan, and and he he cast like most of the actors in that show are are comics, and and he says that like if if people can make someone laugh, then that means that there is more than likely like a very deep core to them, and, and mm-hmm. so there's all these stand up comics, and and even the the main the main actor in the show, you know, he's he's famous for like a, a sitcom. But he says that yeah, comedians know life and they're able to, to draw deep into it. You've got to have a point of connection, don't you, um, in order to make the joke work. There's got to be a sense of me too. I, 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 I get you. Um, so there, there does need, yeah, comedy, comedy can just be poo-pooed as frivolous. Um, but I don't, I don't think it is frivolous when it's done well. Um, but it needs to be done well. And, and the last thing we want in preaching is to feel like, you know, I, I was in, in Australia where I, where I grew up, um, I'll never forget a sermon where a, a preacher got up and he always had the tradition of telling a joke at the start of his sermon. And it was just, it was, and one, one sermon he got up and he, he told the, the joke about the greatest swordsman in the kingdom. And the king says, I want to find the greatest swordsman in the kingdom. And, and so, you know, one man steps forward and he pulls out the sword and a fly is buzzing around the court. And with one swish of his sword, two halves of a, of a fly fall to the ground. And everyone gives a polite round of applause. And then, then the second one comes forward and says, that's nothing. And another fly is buzzing around the court and he, he goes... <laughs> And four quarters of a fly, you know, fall onto the, the, the court's floor and everyone applauds. And then the, the third swordsman comes forwards and he goes, nothing, but the, the fly still buzzes. Nothing, the fly still buzzes. Nothing, the fly still buzzes. And the king says, well, what have you done? The fly's still alive. He says, ah, yes, but he'll never have children. <laughs> and then the preacher said, and you know, sometimes our prayer lives can feel a little impotent. <laughs> that's, that's a tenuous link that's just, tenuous just, the crowbar yeah. has been used yeah. for this <laughs> and what's fascinating is I don't remember anything else he said in the sermon but I do remember <laughs> that terrible joke and I remember the terrible change of gear between and the, the idea that we need comedy as light relief I, I totally reject that um, the next podcast I'm going to do is I'm going to um, talk about the sacred art of joking with my friend who's a comedy writer called James Carey. And we, we talk often about how um, the scriptures are themselves full of humor, full of comedy in that, um, and full of satire. And, and so the, there is definitely, um, there are definitely funny things in the Bible to draw out. But if you, if you feel like you need to tell a joke in order to you know, open up the curtains and let the light in or, or something like that, you've got a very dark view of the scriptures already. Um, you, you don't need light entertainment, no. Yeah. Yeah, well, wholeheartedly agree. Um, so, so, Glenn, so you, you, you preached Easter and then you preached September 15th of 2001. Mm. And, and you've continued on probably unceasingly since then? Uh, has mm-hmm. there been a pretty regular pattern of preaching for, for these mm-hmm. 20 years? Yeah. Um, how do you think you've grown since then? I think, 
I think I've come to actually um, appreciate a theology of preaching. I think I've, I've come to see why it is I do what I do. I, I think I had the sense when I was a 21-year-old that I suppose preaching is important because I'd seen people up front and, and they seem to take up half an hour. Um, so I, I guess whatever whatever takes up half an hour in a service, you know, we, we only take a few minutes to pray, for goodness sakes. We take, we take 30 minutes to, for some, some guy to open up the Bible. You know, we only read the Bible for three minutes. And then some bozo comes up and, 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 you know, explains it for the next 30 minutes. So we, so we have a sense that preaching is important, but then why on earth should that guy spend 30 minutes when, why, why shouldn't he just read out, you know, Philippians? Why, should, why, should, why shouldn't he just read the, the whole thing? Why, why do we have to be, inf- why, why does he have to inflict his blessed thoughts on that chapter? <laughs> on us. And I, I really had no idea for the first, at least the first kind of seven, eight years of, of preaching. Of you doing it. Of me doing it. Yeah. And I, I went away to seminary. I went to um, a Bible college called Oak Hill in North London. And it, it, it's got a great reputation and it, 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 is, it is a great, you know, theological college. Um, but we really didn't get a theology of preaching. We, we, all, we all just assumed that the Bible is important. So let's try and, and be biblical in you know whatever time is allotted to us on a Sunday morning, and so that that really made me want to do a deep dive into um, a theology of preaching, and I, I found um, Martin Luther and and Karl Barth's theology of the word, um, the the threefold word, um, as really transformative and and as giving me a sense of why it is that anyone would dare to speak in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that gave that gave me a theological rationale for the kind of tone that I'd always responded to in preaching. Okay. Um, because the tone that I respond to is when people get up and say, "In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen," and then they let loose with, you know, fiery oratory, Martin Lloyd Jones, logic on fire. Right. I, I'd always responded to that, but I just thought that was a temperamental thing. And then seeing that, you know, Martin Luther saying, look, there's the threefold word, that Christ is the eternal word of the Father, that the scriptures are the word of Christ, and preaching is the word of the Spirit. And you've got a kind of a trinity, word of the Father, word of Christ, word of the Spirit. And when you get all three together, and to the degree that you get all three together, then you are hearing God's voice with his authority. And and that's just kind of, and that again makes you realize that preaching is not a frivolous activity and it's not just a Bible study. It's not just a, a spoken Bible commentary. It's God addressing his people through the lips of a preacher. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So seven or eight years into your preaching, you then did this deep dive to discover what preaching is or mm. or could mm. be or should be. Yeah. Uh, so this changes your preaching in, in, in what ways? In that you, you begin your sermons by saying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Sometimes I do. In a, in a more traditional Anglican setting, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. It sounds, it sounds weirder in, I'm, I'm in a very sort of low church Anglican setting, which is, you know, essentially Baptist, but, but um, you know, we, we happen to be in, in, the, in the Church of England. But um, so it, it, would, it would feel weirder, but sometimes I do it just because it would feel weirder. And in the same way that a policeman says, stop in the name of the law, um, it's, it's not because 
Roger can stop Phil from running down the street. Um, only in the name of the law can Roger, the policeman, say, stop Phil. And in the office that, that Roger you know, carries, there is an authority. Um, and so whether I, whether I use the, the words in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, or whether, and sometimes I will say, may all my speaking and all our hearing be in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whether I say that formula or not, I think that is... Um, that is the tone that I'm trying to go for. That, that is the sense of import that I want to bring to this moment of God encountering his people. So listen up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, w- I was sure that it was more than just a, a, an opening preamble that you added, um, mm, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but in the circles that I run in, um, the very opposite kind of impression is given. So if I might be, you know, introduced by the, the, the worship leader and we'll have a little conversation and Glenn, where are you from? Tell us, you know, who, and then, and then they'll say, and now Glenn is going to share some thoughts from Philippians two. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, no, I'm going to herald the living voice of Christ. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, I, that's what I'm going to try to do right now. Um, and so I, I think the, the, there is a kind of a – because we, we don't want to have a pulpit pope, do we? Like we, we fear the idea of the preacher speaking with too much authority because we know when, when that goes wrong um, how very damaging that can be. And so um, it's very understandable that people want to distance themselves from the sorts of statements that our evangelical forebears made and our evangelical forebears would say things like, you know, Calvin said the reason why someone ascends into the pulpit is so that God may speak to us through the mouth of a man. What? You know, Luther says things like the second Helvetic confession, you know, uh, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Like, ooh, we, we distance ourselves from that because we know what the dangers are. But I, th- I think the threefold word, for instance, gives us the guardrails and, and helps us because, okay, the voice of the preacher is to be heard as the voice of Christ to the degree that they are heralding Christ scripturally to the degree that their, their focus is on Jesus and they're doing it scripturally. Then that third form of the word of God's is to be heard with that, that kind of authority. Okay. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm far more comfortable with, with your explanation of it than mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a simplistic or a, or a caricature, Mm -hmm. um, that, that I've, that I've heard. and, And I've certainly heard those, you know, that, Helvetic Confession and mm. some of Calvin's views on preaching make me a, slightly a little bit uncomfortable. Like I think, mm. yeah, Calvin has much to teach us and there's, you know, some good mm. points. <laughs> Not all of them are good, but some of them are good. Anyway, mm. but, um, mm. but, but this, this idea, and of course I'm sure that's far more nuanced, but that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. When I hear that, I think like, haven't you ever heard a bad sermon before? <laughs> and and yeah, is yeah. that bad sermon? Is that is that the word of God? And mm-hmm. um, so I, I appreciate these kind of this yeah. more textured look at it that you're you're bringing to us. Well, a couple, a couple of things to say on that, and and one is that each form of the word of God has a humanity to it. Um, there, there is a humanity to the eternal word, Christ. There is a humanity to the, to the written word, the scriptures, and there is a humanity to the preacher. Um, but the preacher's humanity is the only one that's fallen. 
Um, and, and you do need to absolutely make allowances for that. Um, but also, as you bring the tests to bear, is this biblical and is this Christ-focused? You're doing what, you know, in Acts 17, the Bereans were, you know, listening to the Apostle Paul, for goodness sake, with their, with their Bibles, thinking, oh, maybe, maybe, you know. Um, so they were, they were testing the Apostle Paul against the Word of God, seeing if, if, if what he said was according to the Scriptures. And, and in 1 John 4, you have, you know, test the spirits and spirits there, um, is very much synonymous with preachers, test the prophets, test the spirits. Um, and to the degree that you're, you're proclaiming Christ and the incarnate Christ in 1 John 4, um, then you are to be heard. But, but the real test is, like, if, if I, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, say, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If I say that in a preaching um, context and somebody resists my words... I think we recognize that they're not just resisting Glenn Scrivener's opinion. Mm-hmm. In that moment, they are resisting Christ himself who is being offered to the person in that moment. On the other hand, if they receive the little old words of Glenn Scrivener, like who's he? He's nobody. You know, <laughs> He's like Roger without the, the police uniform on. You know, he's in, in himself, my, my words are ridiculous, stupid. You, you should not listen to me. But in this office, in this context, and as I preach biblically and, uh, and, and Christ-centeredly, if I say, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you receive that word, you have received Christ himself. And I think that's what the Second Helvetic Confession is trying to get, get across. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some conversations on this show with some, some Lutheran uh, preachers and even theologians, and you know, they're, they're maybe slowly winning me over. Um, I, I'm yeah. certainly not trying to, to debate them, I, I, but I realize that, you know, we have maybe some slightly different views. Um, but, but yeah, their, their understanding is that, you know, that in the name and in the stead of Christ Jesus, they're declaring his word. And, and then they would even go on to say, and, and forgiving sins. And that's where I, I have a little bit of a, of a discomfort. I, I know John 20 is in the Bible. Yeah, John 20. I know, Matthew I'm trying eight. to... <laughs> I, oh, wait a minute, you're Anglican. You know, oh, no, I'm, I'm totally... 16, I'm John surrounded 20. by you guys. <laughs> you walked into that one. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Um, but but I, I'm... Yeah, the, the more that I am interacting with this thing, which, which seems which seems foreign to some degree. Uh, I think because, and maybe we can come back to various ways in evangelicalism or, or Protestantism or even in the broader Christendom where the preacher just, I think, takes far too many liberties or thinks too highly of himself or, or his office. Um, mm-hmm. That causes, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm from a, a low church tradition, uh, mm-hmm. Calvary Chapel. Uh, we're, we're kind of the low, we, we kind of, we invented the low church tradition uh, mm-hmm. to some degree, for better or for worse. Um, but this idea of like, hey, you know, we're we're all just we're all sinners, you know. However, like, let's just look into God's word together. Let's see the the grace and the truth that's in God's word. Here's here's my challenge to that. The guy the guy in ripped jeans on the stage is spending 40 minutes saying, "Hey guys, I'm just a struggler. I'm just wrestling through this. Well, let's mm-hmm. do a Bible study together and let's yeah. let's see." Why has he taken 40 minutes of my time, you know? Like, because if, if we are to take up that, that, you know, that space in the divine service, then it, it ought to be we're doing business with God, you know? And, and there's, there's a way, actually, of um, the, the, the preacher who says, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a way of that being actually the most humble position, because it is, like, 
my, my own words are worthless and nothing, but um, we're, we're gathered here to hear from Christ and Christ feeds his people through his under shepherds and, and we're going we're to do business with God right right here. And, and so actually there's an argument to be made that the, the, the most humble posture is actually the one in which, you know, the, what the Lutheran would say in Christ's stead, um, the preacher is deliver, delivering those words. Um, but yeah. Well, my jeans are ripped. My tone is casual. No, no, that, I haven't worn ripped jeans. Actually, I think I, I don't think I ever have worn ripped jeans uh, in the pulpit. But yeah, but, and I think that there's there's various yeah cultural waves that make one thing more attractive or the other. However, we can't just say, well, this is just a matter of culture. I think that there's there's valuable things um, that I think people from my tradition um, should learn from yours. And perhaps, uh, mm. the, but you have a very yeah. casual approachability while also having a solemnity um, that really does carry through. And I think that's a, that's a valuable thing. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, and, and it does need to be a human word. And, and it's, yeah, the humanity of the preacher is important. And the, and the different kinds of personalities of preachers is very important, just as the different humanity of, um, you know, when you're reading First John, it sounds really different from reading Romans because a different guy wrote it. And the, the, the different humanity of the one who's bringing you the word of God makes a difference. And that's all included in, in how God wants to communicate to us. So those different personalities are cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I was yeah reading some of the stuff that you've written. Uh, I came across an article on, on 1 Samuel 17. Um, and, and maybe this feeds into your or the theology of, of preaching. Uh, would you mind maybe talking to our listeners about how being a preacher is a bit like an observer on the battlefield? Yeah, so one time in 17 is David and Goliath, and there you've got the, the spirit-anointed champion David who, you know, fresh from 1 Samuel 16, um, is now the secret king, and Saul is obviously the, the, the king that everybody sees, who is himself a giant, and yet he will not take on um, Goliath. He is dismayed. But step forward, our handsome, ruddy champion, who in the name of the Lord defeats the superhuman enemy of God's people. And his brothers are kind of behind him and sort of looking at everything through, through, their, through their fingers, um, thinking that David is about to get torn limb from limb. And David does it. Goliath has fallen. And then the brothers of David go forward and plunder the Philistines. And, you know, this, this obviously is a, is a picture of the gospel. Um, here we've got the, the Christ who is defe- defeating the superhuman, you know, enemy of, of, of God's people. And his victory is our victory. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we go and, and, and plunder the Egyptians. And so what is preaching? Preaching is um, the herald of victory who who proclaims that um, it doesn't matter how sunburnt you are, it doesn't matter how dismayed you are, um, 
this this week you have felt entirely defeated by Goliath. Well, you cannot take on Goliath for one single second. Um, but your champion has done it. You have not contributed a calorie of effort to this victory, but his victory is your victory. Now go in war to love and serve the Lord, which is a little adaptation of the Anglican kind of dismissal. You know, go in peace to love and serve <laughs> yeah, the Lord. Go yeah. in war to love and serve the Lord. Go and plunder the Philistines this week yeah, and then you'll come yeah. back again next week and you'll be, you know, kind of dismayed and <laughs> again. And you'll need to hear the, the, the victory of your Christ again the next week. Contrast that with the kind of preaching that I'm familiar with in my circles, which is the, the sort of the robust muscular Christianity of the soldier, the soldier of Christ. And, and preaching in that context is the military briefing, the drill sergeant telling you how to do it like David. And telling you, you know, you've got to get a firm base with your legs and you've got to, you know, swing through with the hips and it's all in the wrist at the end. And now, now remember what I did and do it for David. That's, that's drill sergeant preaching. And I think we need, we need the herald of victory preaching. Yeah, I mean, such a, such a helpful distinction using such a familiar passage and showing two different ways to approach uh, the passage and, and to speak to, I mean, you know, the, the soldiers who are kind of standing in for the congregation, right? The, yeah. the soldiers who are weary and intimidated and they've been like harassed and harangued and embarrassed day after day after day, taunted. Um, and, and so does, does the preacher need to come and just, you know, either say, shame on you, you should be doing better, or you could win if only you tried hard enough. And, and those things are not, yeah, the, the life-giving word of God. It's, uh, yeah, so what a great, what a great distinction. Yeah, very, very Lutheran again. It's, it's law and gospel, isn't it? In, and, yeah, ought, ought we to step forward into our week and take on the, the, the forces of evil. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the law is good. <laughs> the law is very, very good. Um, but the, the law by itself condemns and kills. And, and the trouble with the, the drill sergeant preaching is that it, it, it just kind of, it treads on your toes. It kind of, it just steps on your toes a little bit and says, come on, try harder, try, do it for David. Um, whereas heralding preaching is like, no, you can't do it. You didn't do it. You don't do it. You won't do it. He did it for you. Um, and I've, I've found in my own life, and I, I, I hope to generate this in my preaching, people who take hold of the victory of Christ and step out into their weeks in a much different spirit and taking up the authority of Christ and the victory of Christ and the joy of Christ into their week. I think, I think that's, a, that's a healthier view of not only preaching but of church and the Christian life. Yeah. And, and in our, like, let's say Christ-centered preaching circles, uh, oftentimes the, the victory of David against Goliath um, is shown as kind of a prototypical or an introductory look at a way to preach the, the son of David defeating, defeating the enemy on our behalf. But then it's the, it's the end of that passage, too, where, where, as you mentioned, where the formerly frightened, fearful mm. um, soldiers then they come and they have kind of cleanup duty, you know, the, mm. uh, the, um, Goliath's army, they turn and they flee and yes. David's army freshly empowered pursues them and has, and yes. continues the victory that was already won on the battlefield. Amen. Amen. Plundering the Philistines and, and, you know, and therefore I, I love to have after the sermon communion. I love to, I love to feed people and that the, the whole, the whole, you know, shape of the worship service is um, to hear of the victory of Christ, to be nourished by your Savior, 
and and then sent out, go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ, amen, and, and, and out we go. We're, we're actually given something. And too much of preaching is kind of this memorialist thing that's, that's just, you know, remember this, remember this, and remember this, which, you know, in, in our church tradition, we sort of come forward to receive communion at the front of church. But like, can you, can you imagine going forwards and instead of receiving the bread and the wine, you just receive a little post-it note that says, you know, <laughs> remember these three things, you know, <laughs> now go in peace. And, and I think our preaching should, uh, again, not just be post-it notes reminding people. There should be the real presence of Christ, not just a memorialist preaching, but the real presence of Christ, Christ given to people that they're not just given reminders, they're given the true bread that really fortifies them because, yeah, they do have their battles to fight this week and, and they're going to need him and they're going to need good news in, in order to engage those battles. Yeah, and so so you mentioned kind of giving Christ or, or kind of handing over the goods, um, as my my Lutheran friends would say. Yes. Um, at, at what point, and maybe this is going back a little bit to the threefold word, like at, at what point does it, or in your understanding, at what point does the sermon become the word of God? Is is there a point where that happens? Is it from, from front to end? Or are there a few kind of like divine visitations within the sermon or like how how does that work? I don't mean to to pull it apart too much, but I'm just trying to think through this. Yeah, I, I think the 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 whole encounter is meant to be one with Christ. You know, the 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 living voice of Christ is to be heard, and he must be discerned in amongst all the humanity of the preacher. And the preacher can err, and the preacher often does err. Um, but 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 I think we are to expect to hear Christ's voice. It, it, so much of this is about expectation, you know. Um, when we sit to hear the word of Christ, we are to we are to expect Jesus to address us with living power. And and I, I guess we just we just don't have that so much. I, I was I remember years ago I was uh, about to go to the the evening church service. Um, from from our church, and I was with the associate pastor and with his family, and we were about to to head over to the church. And uh, his little girl, she was like four years old, and she said, "Daddy, where are you going?" And um, and Daddy was like busy getting his laptop together. And I and I said, um, "We're going to church to hear Jesus talk to us." And she was carrying her dolly. She dropped her dolly. She was like. <gasps> And her mouth went wide open, like, like, really? And then her mother came and swept, swept her up in her arms. And I said, no, no, they're just going to hear a sermon. <laughs> and, then she left. and I was like, yeah, and? <laughs> like, um, I, I, I want a dolly dropping sense of we're going to church to hear Jesus. You know, and and just as we're going to receive Christ in the bread and wine, we're going to receive Christ in the in the sermon. I, so I'd, I'm not so much into identifying at what point that happens, um, but I think the expectation should be there for us from from beginning to end. Okay, and um, and this might be tiptoeing too deep into the Bartian, which I'm I'm certainly not an expert in. But but is is it the when the word of God when the Bible is preached? Hmm. It then becomes the word of God. Is that the the correct? I'm sure there's nuances, but is it is it the preaching by a by a faithful preacher that that creates that word of God moment? 
I think, the, the, I mean, the, the word of God written is the word of God written throughout. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sort of defending all, all of Bart's theology at all. I, but I did, I did find his first um, book of church dogmatics, 1-1, um, incredibly helpful for for a preacher um, because he he basically just does Luther. He basically just goes back and does the and does the threefold word. But the the the, the word of God written is the word of God written entirely, and, and the word of Christ eternal um, is is of course divine. Um, but you know, in in order for us to receive the proclaimed word as as God's word, um, then it's it must always and ever be a scriptural word about Christ. Um, and it, and it can err in both those senses, and and so we need to play the Bereans, and we need to do the First John four thing and test the spirits. Um, but yeah, to to the degree that those two things hold, yeah, it is to be received as 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 Christ addressing us. Okay, yeah, I had a, a conversation with uh, Tabidi Anyobile, and and he was speaking about like expositional preaching requires expositional listening as well. And that hmm. there is like a responsibility um, for the people in the congregation, have their Bibles open, be following along, but yet also have this expect- expectation, even as you were mentioning, Kenan, previously, I'm going to church to hear from Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, my, my son said something similar years ago. He, he, um, he looked at me one day, he was like playing with a car and said, you know, dad, do you think one day God will come to our church? Like, right. wouldn't it be great if God came one day um, right. instead of us just singing about him or hearing, you know, it was like, wouldn't it be great if he just came? And, you know, well, well Owen, he, he is, but, it, you know, it's yeah. so I'd love I'd love for that. And the expositional listening that that is you're here and I'm here to receive. I'm here to learn. Or, yeah. I'm here to receive and receiving involves learning. Yes. And, and, and I think, you know, in, in my tradition, which I love and I'm glad to be part of it, I think we have a big emphasis on teaching the Bible. And mm. I think that's valuable. I think that's important. I think there needs to be places, and I would say even segments of a sermon that are teaching concepts and ways to think. Um, and there needs to be not just information, but transformation, or to use a cheesy way, but those encounter moments of, mm, mm. but this is, but now we're no longer students, but we're, we're worshipers in the presence of God. Yeah. It's interesting how Spurgeon did that. Like, so Spurgeon, Metropolitan Tabernacle, would basically have two sermons, really. And the, and the first one was, was more expositional teaching. You know, here, here's, you know, the context of this little verse that I'm about to, you know, really preach on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously what, what, has, um, what has passed down to us, you know, has, has been sort of the second thing, which is, which is really the, you know, let me, let me herald Christ to you in this incredibly rich way. So even, even Spurgeon, who is just prob- probably my favorite preacher, um, it's not as though he could get away with um, leaving out those teaching elements to his Sunday mornings. So, but yeah, we, we do need that, yeah. Yeah, and I, with Gregory of Nazianzus or those those early like Cappadocian fathers, maybe the same thing. Kind of begins with, to some degree, a bit laborious to read uh, the first halves of their sermons, and then they just hit their stride, and then <laughs> yeah. you're just you're just worshiping Jesus um, for like you know two or three pages of just this like constantly exulting in his like excellencies. It's incredible, but it's comes after the, the explanation of the context or whatever current controversy they're dealing with. And then it comes into like meeting the God man himself. And that's a wonderful Yeah. yeah. And the word of God written is like that as well. You know, like, like not everything is Romans eight, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. That's a great point. That's a, <laughs> that's a really great point. Um, 
Okay, maybe maybe as we head in towards like our actually our final few moments, um, you are yeah noted as a as an evangelist and an apologist. Now I am neither of those things, and a lot of people uh, that might listen to this uh, they might say that they don't have the the calling to evangelism or the the gifts of evangelism. Um, is there any? Can you help us who might say that that's not my thing? How can we present the gospel in an invitational way? in our teachings and preachings? Um, you know, obviously the word evangelist comes up very rarely in, in the New Testament. And um, one of the places it comes is where Paul says Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Um, Timothy himself not being one, but um, yeah, how, how, can, how, can we, um, how can we bring elements of evangelistic preaching into our preaching? I, I think one thing to do is to treat the Bible as though it's written for the world. As though it's as though it's written for humans. Um, now it is, it is written for the the special people of God, and and we do we do have to have a a, a theology of um, Christ, His body, and the world, and the the church is this mediating presence between Christ and the world, and we are loved in a special way, and we are addressed in a special way. But you know, my my mission theology is is certainly that we we are not loved instead of the world, we are loved for the sake of the world, so that whatever special status we have, it is to send us out in a priestly manner to the ends of the earth, um, to share Christ with the nations, and therefore, yes, um, the Bible is not given for the entertainment of the goats; it's given for the feeding of the sheep, um, but. The Bible is not being given simply to fine-tune the discipleship of the super-spiritual. The wisdom of the scriptures is the wisdom for life. And so my, my preaching will have, and, and whatever, whatever part of the scriptures I'm in, there will be implications for all humanity and not just for the Christian to fine-tune their, their super-spiritual discipleship. Um, and we should be looking for that, Look, looking for the ways in which there, there is wisdom because Jesus, Jesus doesn't just, um, you know, get us into the church um, so that then we deal with these non-human realities and the world can get on with its secular concerns. Um, he's teaching us how to live and he can, teach, he can teach all of us how to live. None of it works without Jesus. But we can we can still point to the wisdom that the scriptures are full of, um, that speaks to every every aspect of life. So I guess we we just need to have a much broader um, vision for what the scriptures are trying to do, and then they're, they're not just trying to tweak the discipleship of the, of the spiritual. Um, they they are speaking into all of life, and and I need to tap into that. And, and every passage that I'm preaching from, I need to think in those broader categories. I think. Yeah. Okay. And. And then do you specifically like address those that are not part of the, the body of Christ yet? Do you, uh, do you address them? Do you encourage us to do so? Or just speak in a way that makes sense to all that could be in the room or watching the live stream? Yeah, yeah. No, I do. Um, um, one of the dangers you get into is that certainly in, in a lot of the churches that I, I speak in, there has been a, an historic division between... Um, your Sunday evening service, which is your entirely evangelistic thing in which you just tell people, trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus. And that's what evangelism is for people. And then the Sunday morning is the meaty discipleship that the, the outsider would never understand to begin with. And I don't know 
if you're familiar with those sorts of circles. But that that's often what people hear when they when they, they they hear, oh, you need to add a little bit of evangelism into your preaching. What they hear is, um, you need to tell people um, to pray a prayer of commitment, right? Um, as though as though who is in the congregation is split between those who have made a decision for Jesus and those who must be told to make a decision for Jesus. And as soon as you think in those terms, um, it's all lost at that stage. Um, Because then then actually your gospel at that stage is actually law. Your gospel is simply um, there is this thing you need to do, pray to make a decision for Jesus. And you actually you actually end up just you know giving them law and and it's not it's not as though your congregation doesn't need to be evangelized either. I'm all, I'm always saying you know pastoral care is evangelizing Christians and evangelism is pastoring non Christians. That's what you're con- you're constantly pointing to the the good shepherd, and whether someone is outside the the sheepfold or inside the sheepfold, they need the same shepherd. And Tim Tim Keller is just the master at this, and I've I've learnt over the years, um, and and will never be as 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 good as he is. But I think he he's sort of the gold standard of preaching to Christians and to non Christians, being able to make those applications because the the message to both is you don't trust Jesus enough do you <laughs> right mm. yeah. and i'm and in my pastoral care and in my discipleship and even in my church discipline i'm evangelizing the nether regions of people's souls even if they've been christians for 50 years um, i'm constantly trying to evangelize so that those are the terms i, I try to think in wow what a, what a helpful yeah even phrase or category e- evangelizing the church and pastoring uh, those that aren't Christians yet. Uh, what a what a delicious blending of two things that we think are so so um, polar opposites oftentimes. But yeah, such as such as twenty twenty one, life is confusing these days. There's a whole lot of overlaps and and bleeding. But uh, but uh, yeah, uh, well. This is this is the end of our time. Is there anything that you want to uh, that you want to cram in here? Is there anything at the end I want to honor your time? <laughs> oh well, you know, anything if, if you've been waiting to... for me to ask you that I haven't asked yet? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> my hair care regime. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we've we've got an internship program uh, at Speak Life, and if people want to want to join us for a ten month residential internship from September to to end of June um, on the south coast of England, you can go to speaklifefoundry.com. and we, we talk about all these sorts of issues um, for evangelism, for proclamation, for media, um, and yeah, how to how to get the word out there. So speaklifefoundry.com. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have a, a link for all of this in, in the show notes. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Glenn, for your time. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. And um, I hope that uh, that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Uh, thanks again. Thanks, Mike. Well, and thanks again to Glenn for your time and for such a delightful uh, and stimulating conversation. Uh, just want to point your attention to the show notes. Uh, if you uh, if you're on your phone, you can tap the image of this episode and and swipe, and there's a collection of links there. Uh, those links will bring you to Speak Life UK, to the um, internship opportunity that Glenn just mentioned, as well as kind of a collection of links 
of uh, some of the things that we have been speaking about in this conversation, including the the Lutheran uh, preacher and theologians that have been on this show, uh, and also to the episode with uh, Pastor Tabidi, and uh, and and many more. So make use of the um, the links that have been provided in the show notes. Um, also, speaking of uh, getting connected and following links, uh, you're invited to join the Expositors Collective uh, Facebook group. Uh, we have a Facebook page as well as Twitter and Instagram. But what is a very engaged and engaging forum is the Expositors Collective Facebook group. Uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. Uh, we discuss uh, the episodes as they come out. It's a forum for going back and forth and taking this from just being a conversation that we listen to and causing it to be a conversation that we join in. So you're invited to facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. Hello, this is Pastor Eric Cartier from Rocky Mountain Calvary. I want to invite you to come join us for the Expositors Collective in September. We're hosting it here in Colorado Springs. It's a beautiful setting right by the mountains. But more importantly, this is a great time to be able to get equipped to teach God's Word. What I love most about the Expositors Collective is its focus on young people. For God to really raise up the next generation to communicate God's word. We've never needed God's truth more than now. So if you're thinking about coming, consider yourself invited. We'd love to have you. It's going to be a great time. Okay. I hope that this episode and all that we do here at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. I'm going to leave you with a clip from next week's episode. Uh, Next week, next Tuesday, there's going to be an episode you don't want to miss. Um, I speak with Dr. Russell Moore, and uh, here's just a taste of what you have in store as you hear from Dr. Moore. (laughs) All right. Have a great week. Bye. I think if you look at, for instance, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, what Paul talks about is the open proclamation of the truth uh, ends up with what? It ends up with a voice that is being heard uh, by, by the hearer, a voice that's coming from God and a voice that has creative power. And it also is a light. So as God said, let light shine in darkness. So he has He has shown uh, the light of the gospel uh, and the light from the face of Jesus directly into our hearts. And what happens is a breaking of the power of the God of this age. So I think that the way that uh, the principalities and powers work is in two directions. One is in deception, which is what we typically think of when we think of um, uh, spiritual warfare, which is Mm. you shall not surely die. You you don't really need uh, the gospel. But the other is then accusation. So you you are guilty and there is no way to resolve your guilt. You are shameful and there is no way to resolve your shame. So I think that what preaching is intended to do is to break through that sort of captivity in the way that you see Jesus, for instance, in Mark chapter one, he's coming into the synagogue 
and in Capernaum, and what is he doing? He's teaching as one who has authority and not as one of the scribes. He's also speaking to the evil spirits and they obey him. And so the question is, what kind of authority is that? Well, I think that is exactly what happens uh, every time that the word is, is rightly preached, both of those aspects. So I think one of the key aspects of preaching and Bible teaching that you see in scripture is this way of going around the defenses uh, often. So if you think of C.S. Lewis uh, used to talk about why he wrote uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia the way he did. And he said there's often a kind of familiarity uh, with uh, biblical themes that cause people to sort of defend themselves against it. Mm-hmm. And he said, but if I thought if I could go around those watchful dragons, uh, then I could could get to them. Well, I think that's exactly what is is often happening in in preaching, which is why you have, for instance, uh, Nathaniel comes to David right. and doesn't start with, here are the Ten Commandments and here's how you've broken them. He, he comes in, he first involves, uh, he involves the king through the level of the imagination of what the uh, moral and emotional evaluation would be of a man who stole uh, a ewe lamb from yeah. his, his poor neighbor yeah. and then turns it uh, around. I think much of Jesus's preaching is like that. Uh, much of the apostles preaching is like that. And so that's, that's incredible. Is there, however, like to, to push on that, is there like a uniquely spiritual aspect of like avoiding people's preconceived notions and communicating in a, in a surprising way? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do we need the Holy Spirit to do that? Or is that just good communication skills or, or marketing? Uh, well, you have to have, you have to have the Holy Spirit uh, in order for people to hear the actual uh, voice of, of Christ. But what you're doing in terms of communication is making sure that you are actually heard in the way that you intend to be heard. And the way often you intend to be heard is by going around the filters that people have already have already put up. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to always be asking, uh, what are people... Um, what are people hearing as just, yeah, 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 yeah. So you, you go to, for instance, if you go to a, uh, a funeral, you're going to hear uh, a lot of familiar funereal cliches that people are going to use every time that people don't even listen to. Uh, it's just, that's expected, and I hear that, and I, and I go through. Not a lot you can do about that. But a lot of that comes in with preaching. And so what you're going to have to do is to say, what what are people expecting to hear? And so what do they hear? 